Create an Unstoppable Life, Episode 95, Five Things That Are Holding You Back. Create an Unstoppable Life is all about mindset for the high achiever to help you build a life of fulfillment and freedom. I'm your host, Dina George, MD, a mindset and marketing coach and a family medicine physician. It's an honor to spend time with you today. Hello and welcome. It really is an honor that you're here. Before we go any farther, there's one announcement. The podcast is growing and your help is appreciated. So subscribe, leave a review, and enter the giveaway. That's right, a giveaway. It's our first ever. And it's a box of really cool stuff that's mailed to you. The way to enter the giveaway, go to the giveaway post on Facebook and Instagram, Dina George MD, and enter there. Like the post, tag five people who really need to know about this podcast. You'll find all the details there. You'll notice there's a new trend. Last week, it was four ways to regret proof your life. This week, five things holding you back. It's all in an effort to help you grow your life today, not tomorrow, not when it feels good, because chances are it's not going to feel good. Change your life means taking different action in your life and for your life and starting now. Not thinking about it, not planning it, but actually applying it, doing it with the discomfort of growth and change. So today we're talking about the five things that we do or the habits we have as high achievers, and they get in the way a lot. I developed this list for the class, Turn an Idea into a Business, and realized it applies a lot more than physicians who want to be entrepreneurs. It applies to all of us, all of us who are growing our life or growing our career, growing our business, growing our legacy, which is this community. We may realize that we hold ourselves back or we feel like we're holding ourselves back or we're being held back, but usually that's about as far as we can take it. This information, it's not new. It may be obvious, but the point is to go deeper and see how it's affecting you, how it's limiting you, to show you the difference between knowing and doing something about it, to help you move beyond. All right, enough said. Are you ready? Number one, trying to help everyone. In the class, we called it trying to speak to everyone. Here, trying to help everyone. And we do this. We do it as doctors or healthcare professionals or humans in general. It's instilled in us. Think of all the customer service training you've been through, which says if somebody asks you, then you help them. Doesn't matter your rank or your position. They ask, you help. And maybe that's what you heard growing up. If somebody asks for your help, you help them. The answer is always yes. It might be part of your faith structure. And it's likely been incorporated in your identity. And there are rewards, right? It feels good to help others. It's a source of pride. It keeps us busy. And we like being busy because many of us, we equate busy with achievement. And it may be interesting. If you say yes and to everything for everyone, it's going to take you on some interesting adventures. Trying to help everyone. It sounds good, right? It's polite. It's nice. We're nice people. And how could we withhold our help? We're often reminded that people are suffering. They need us. They need our help. You see how deep this goes? How incorporated into your identity trying to help everyone might be? And what happens if you start to ignore it or if you relax on doing it? 
Your mind might come up with things like this. You're selfish. Or others may comment, you're selfish. You don't care. What are you too good to help others? People say all kinds of things you may have noticed. Smile. The quiet moments in your day, they might be filled with an internal fight of what you want to do versus what you should do. What you should do to keep peace in the family or help a coworker or keep a system going or see all of the patients that need a doctor, like the ones who are double or triple booked. Notice all the pressure on you as though you're the only one who can keep the peace or help the coworker that may or may not want help or keep a system working that's likely outdated and ineffective, or see all the patients in an understaffed situation that probably isn't new, and the challenges of what you're compromising or sacrificing in the meantime, I'm thinking quality of care. And meanwhile, trying to help everyone, then there's you, and something in you that remains small, unexplored, undeveloped, unfulfilled, It might be creating a way that can help others 10 times as much or help 10 times more people. It might be figuring out how to treat the disease or underlying cause of a problem rather than the same symptoms over and over. But you're too busy, focused on helping everyone at the current level you're capable of. Notice the pressure we put on ourselves to be all things to all people. In part, I think, because we have the capacity to understand the range of the human experience to see real life and real struggle and real pain. So we put pressure on ourselves, and we perpetuate that belief that it really, it, I have to help everyone. Which might sound like I have to, I must, I should, it's who I am, it's who I'm supposed to be, there's no other option. How many times a day or a week do you say one of those things? And how much internal conflict do you carry because of it? Can you see the amount of energy it takes just to have that debate? What I want to do, what I should do, what I want to do, what I should do? Not actually doing it. And then there's time and resources to do it, which competes with the next thing or the other thing or the other requests. And there's always more requests to help others. Without evaluating, are we really helping? Are we really making a change or a difference? Are we really doing something that lives on and changes the trajectory of, a, of life for us or someone else? But we're not evaluating the results. We're too busy. We're trying to help everyone. The point in sharing this and giving it the number one status is to show you how deluded we become and how deluded our efforts become. This way of thinking and working, it's not sustainable. It's depleting. And it doesn't help us become stronger, and it likely doesn't help others become stronger or stay stronger. It takes the time and the focus away from the callings of our life, the priorities of our life, the legacy we're building, and the rejuvenation that's needed, the restoring of ourselves that's needed to keep going. As high achievers, we have to make peace with the fact that there's 24 hours in a day for all of us. And we have a finite period of time in our body, and none of us know how long that'll be. We think we know, we want to know, but we don't know. And we have a drive to experience more, create more, and there's callings for us to do that are ours. We have to make peace with all of it. Helping others, being intentional, it means deciding how it works in your life, rather than defaulting to everyone's needs come first. Where does helping others fit in? 
So if you think of your life in terms of a puzzle, the different aspects of your life are pieces of that puzzle. So how big of a piece does taking care of others take? Where is that located in the puzzle? Is it in the center, at the edge, off to the side? And what is in the middle? Other ways of saying this are, how do you serve others? When? What does it look like? What amount of time or other resources do you commit to this? And here's the other essential decision. Deciding that it is enough. There'll always be more that you could do or can do or you'll be asked to do. Your mind will remind you and likely other people will too. The goal is to develop the strength and clarity to experience enough and let your efforts be enough so that you can focus on the work you are called to do and the priorities of your life. No may be the hardest word to say in your vocabulary, and it's easier to not say it. It's easier to help others and believe that you owe it to them and just do it. It'll help. That's what you tell yourself. It's easier to say no to yourself. You're used to it. You can deal with it. No to what you truly want. You can tell yourself you don't deserve to rest. Others aren't. You don't deserve to eat. Others aren't. You don't deserve to take care of yourself because others are fill in the blank. You get the point. No is the most powerful word, though, that you can say to honor your beliefs, the ones that you want to hold today moving forward to develop yourself, to create systems that are sustainable to help others, to work on the problem or disease rather than the symptoms. And that's ultimately what you can create, more impact through leveraging your time and your energy. So here's what's available for you to see. Trying to help everyone dilutes you, depletes you, keeps the calling of your life waiting, and it never ends. There's always more. It's ineffective for the long term. It may be a strong part of the identity you've developed. It easily goes along with people pleasing. But know this, because it's always been this way doesn't mean it has to stay this way. The antidote for all five of these, it's the same. Work with someone, a mentor, coach, advocate, therapist, faith-based counselor, someone to help you optimize your thinking and your approach to life that incorporates your highest beliefs, meaning the ones you want to have, and helps you honor your callings and process the emotions of change and process what other people say and how you want to feel about it. Also that you lead an extraordinary life, which does include giving. Number two, judgment. We are so good at recognizing judgment in others. We feel it. We might feel singled out or tense or isolated, guilty or small. We catch it in other people's words or their actions or the fact that they're not taking action. We see it in their facial expressions and we come up with a whole story about it. But are you good at recognizing it in you? When the judgment you have for someone else comes up, do you physically feel it? Do you hear what it sounds like? Do you say things like, I don't know why they didn't. I don't know why they have to. They're so selfish. We say it like it's a fact. It's so amazing. They are so selfish. They are so rude. They make the stupidest decisions. (laughs) I just have to laugh. 
Does any of that sound familiar? All of it's interesting and for sure holds us back from growing our life. But here's what is even more powerful, the judgment we have for ourselves. If we had no judgment for ourselves, it would be impossible to have it for others because we would see that people are scared. People don't know. Even if they say they do know, they don't know. People are human and do impulsive things. People are listening to their own fear rather than facts. And people are stuck in shame and don't feel worthy and they'll say or do things to prove it's true. If we had no judgment for ourselves, the world would look different and feel different. There'd be no labels and no need for them. No criticisms. There'd be lots of opportunity to connect and explore and an abundance of creativity. So what does your judgment sound like? Like how many times a day, a week, a month does this come up? That was stupid. You're an idiot. You'll never. Nobody likes you. Nobody believes in you. Your ideas don't matter. They're not that good. Nobody's looking. Nobody's coming. It's important to notice the language that occurs in your mind because you've accepted it as fact for years and you can't tune out something you don't notice. For change to occur, it's recognizing how this is occurring within you, what it sounds like, how often it's occurring, how you respond to it. Do you back down, play small, keep doing the same things? Do you have habits that just numb you out like food or relationships or alcohol or something else that temporarily just change your mood? Temporary being the key word. Judgment within you, it's anti-helpful. It's chatter that wants to own the microphone and put you down. And it's human. An unstoppable life, it means taking the beauty of being human and amplifying it. And taking everything else and deciding what it means and questioning if it's necessary. Is it necessary to judge myself every time I do something new and my mind perceives it as risk? Is it necessary to spin around every time I make a decision in my business? Is it necessary to revisit every conversation with my son and wonder, did I say the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Am I a good mom? Our mind, boy, our mind can develop the habit of taking us over and over to the same place and giving us plenty of reasons to judge ourselves. Judgment is part of the human experience. How much of your human experience are you going to allow it into or tolerate it being part of? You actually get to decide. The thoughts may be automatic. It's default thinking. It's default fears. That doesn't mean that it needs to continue commanding your attention. It's kind of like a stranger passing you by on the street. There are a range of possibilities for what you can do. Ignore them, make eye contact, smile, say hello while you keep walking, stop and try to engage them in conversation. You get to choose. My mind offers up a ton of judgment, especially when I'm tired or I'm not creating the results I want. And there's a higher quality of life for me when I make eye contact and keep walking. I see it and I'm not stopped by it. Moving on, number three, judgment's best friend is comparison. I think they're twins. They finish each other's sentences. One invites the other. They sit down, make themselves comfortable. They've got a lot to say. 
They want to spend hours or days or weeks with us. And in the end, the experience is exhausting, depleting. We feel worse about ourselves and our ideas and our worth. We have a complete lack of creativity or originality. Compare and despair. I first read that in Brene Brown's work. Every time, 100% of the time, when we compare, we measure ourselves to somebody else, our work to someone else's, we rate ourselves horribly. We don't measure up. And here's what we're not doing, is measuring up to our own potential. Rating our work to what the potential of the work can be when we're focused and believing that it's possible. Many physicians have brilliant ideas, like for products that are way better than what we currently use, or tech that narrows the gap between doctor and patient, or products that reduce the workload for doctors, or even services that don't exist that'll help people feel better and move better and have more complete care. And here's what we do. We judge our capability to do it. Since we've never done it before, chances are the harsh critic comes out. We look around and we see who's doing it and we compare ourselves to them. If they're doing it, they're already ahead so we don't measure up. I just finished the book, The Common Path to Uncommon Success by John Lee Dumas. He wrote about the origin of his daily podcast interviewing entrepreneurs called Entrepreneurs on Fire. And he wrote out a list of who was doing it back then. I think it was 2012. Nobody. He acknowledged that it would be the best podcast of its kind and the worst podcast of its kind and the only one. And he'd have to learn while doing it how to become the best daily podcast host. Even he, someone who's created thousands of episodes, interviewed thousands of very successful entrepreneurs, created millions of dollars in revenue, he started with comparison. It's part of the human experience and we lose every time. You can get out of the trap of believing that comparison is real, true, necessary. Yes, our human mind is wired this way to automatically do it, think it, but it doesn't mean that you need to spend any time engaging in it. It's like the stranger walking towards you on the sidewalk. How do you want to respond? Make eye contact, keep walking, spend a few weeks spinning around. You do get to choose. Number four, hustling. High achievers, what percentage would you guess hustle? What percentage of those who are ultra effective and ultra successful, what percentage of them hustle? The first one, high percentage. The second one, low percentage. Why? Because more is not better. Multitasking is not effective. Achievement in the form of crossing off a box does not mean that something important or meaningful was accomplished. Dishwasher emptied. I checked off a box. I'm busy. I'm getting things done. My brain releases some dopamine. It feels really good. I checked that box. Look at all I'm doing, except my life didn't change. The task didn't alter the course of my business. We waste so much time staying busy and hustling without a true reward. And a true reward is defined as fulfillment or momentum or progress towards our goals and dreams or experiencing peace and calm and freedom. More is not better, especially when we're going back and rechecking and re-looking at the work that we did because we weren't really present the first time we did it. Faster is not better. Oftentimes it 
overcomplicates. It dilutes us more. It overwhelms us and others. Hustling is the path to exhausted and quitting. It's the path to unfulfillment and resentment. And it's one of the contributors to burnout. People just get tired of hustling. It doesn't end and leave their jobs or their profession. Hustling is like a treadmill where the speed is constantly increasing. The more we do, the more there is to do, the more we're asked to do, the more we expect ourselves to do, the more we judge ourselves by how much we do. It's never enough. Like, are you exhausted just listening? All right, enough said then. Finally, number five, overcomplicating. High achievers, our mind thinks that everything has to be complex. It must be complex from the beginning. And at some point, if we're lucky or we develop the skill, we realize that things actually can be quite simple because there are patterns and foundations of knowledge and ways to break things down so that we don't have to learn it all or do it all in the same moment. My son and I used to play one of those old Nintendos, the handheld ones. And here's what I learned. Here's the pattern. When I advanced to a level that I couldn't complete, if I spent about 30 minutes learning it, put it away, in one or two days, it would be a new experience and I would figure it out. That was the pattern. In one or two days, I'd have a new foundation to draw from. And likely it's new neural pathways between my senses. So my vision, my hand coordination, my anticipation, my awareness of the resources. I was probably more creative. I didn't need to overcomplicate it. I actually had to do less and let it all just simmer in my brain and then come back and do it. Simple. I notice a lot of medical students, they naturally overcomplicate their answers. Like it has to be hard, it has to be complex, it has to sound fancy, rather than demonstrating their understanding with simple language. The most effective teachers and leaders, they simplify things. They point out what's important and where our focus needs to be and what each member's contribution is or will be. When I was deployed in Iraq, there were many lessons that were passed on to the doctors when we arrived, things that other combat support hospitals learned the hard way. Here's an example. One trauma victim, one trauma team, which consisted of one doctor, one medic, and one nurse. Simple. One trauma coordinator who would maintain the flow and direct the resources to the highest acuity patients. Simple. Focus on the patient in front of you. What do they need? What is the most severe injury that we can see? Are they breathing adequately on their own? Do they have a pulse? Are they bleeding? The immediate things, do they need to be first for an x-ray, like a chest or pelvic x-ray? Do they need blood right now that we can use the emergency blood for? Do they need to be first for the CT scanner? Do they need to go to the OR right now? And is there other information that's needed for the surgeons? Simple. The human brain isn't naturally wired to think this way. One doctor, one patient, stay here, focus, simplify what they need, prioritize the needs with the trauma coordinator. If we were left on our own, we would hustle, worry, look around, run from patient to patient, do a little bit, probably judge ourselves, judge others, compare, overcomplicate, hustle, a lot because of fear and worry and wanting to do the most good and not knowing how. And there was a simpler way. It worked in trauma. It works in other areas of our life. Notice your mind. Do you naturally assume that something will be difficult in the beginning? Difficult to learn? Are you open to the process or do you find you just want to give up easily? 
many high achievers I work with experience over and over again the default thinking that something is difficult until it's proven to be easy. My friends, we create our freedom one moment at a time by choosing our internal calling and creating an internal compass and recognizing what we sacrifice by trying to help everyone, judging ourselves and others, comparing ourselves to others, hustling and not focusing on one thing, and overcomplicating. Stop losing your voice and your time and your resources by doing things, thinking things, or rewarding yourself with things that either don't make a positive change or they deplete you. An extraordinary life slows down to be in the moment. An extraordinary life is driven by an internal compass. An extraordinary life is intentional about when, how, where to give and gives in a meaningful and lasting way. An extraordinary life doesn't give in to the brain's push to do more or check off more boxes. And an extraordinary life simplifies first. This can be you too. In fact, this is who you're called to be. So what does your life look like without these five things holding you back? Shedding them is 10 times harder than you can imagine and a hundred times more fulfilling. My friends, unstoppable is waiting. The path is lonely only because few dare to take it, but I'm here. Join me. Let's keep going. I'll see you next time. And don't forget, help us grow. Subscribe, review the podcast, enter the giveaway on Facebook and Instagram. Dina George, MD. Bye.